Thanks again for listening to Storyteller Studio Podcast. I'm Tim Larson. At the end of today's episode, please stay tuned for a bonus conversation involving radio announcer Dick Biani's influence on the Beach Boys and one song in particular. Pam has a story involving Brian Wilson and Al Jardine. Welcome to another episode of Storyteller Studio where we're gathering our lives through genuine conversations and gladly sharing them with folks around the world. As radio announcers, Liz and Tim believe there's something very special about being behind a microphone and letting their hair down. Sometimes people just need a reason to enjoy each other, either again or for the very first time. And we found plenty of others who feel the same. From artists, sports figures and manufacturers, to filmmakers, authors and media types, We all may know bits and pieces about a person, but there's always something more. So while we grab our headphones and turn up the mics, it's your chance to eavesdrop on yet another episode of Storyteller's Studio. Once again, everybody, welcome back to Storyteller Studio. We are on the road again. Uh, it's about an hour and 15 minutes away from our base at Edgebrook Shopping Center in Rockford, Illinois. We're in Oak Brook Terrace. And the reason that I came here to Frankie's Deli is because of the topic and the person that we're talking with today. Because Dick Biani, back in the day, was a deli guy, not necessarily at this location of Frankie's, but they were uh, downtown a little bit further. And um, it's very Italian. It's very good. I will be taking a grocery sack of food home with me when I leave today. My wife is going to be very, very happy with the masticcioli. But today, I decided to sit down and chat with Pam Enzweiler Police. And if you don't know the name, you soon will because Pam has been working nine years on the Dick Biani film, and that's how I know her. How are you, Pam? Hi, Tim. <laughs> it's so good to see you again. It is. <laughs> we've run into people that know us, and we've run into each other at sort of odd places, but yet sort of predictable, you know, like the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum Hall of Fame down in Joliet. Right. But do you remember how we met? Do you know that story? I do, story? of course I do. Okay, then you tell the story because we'll see we'll see how I remember <laughs> okay. what you remember. Well, let's see. Okay, I was walking from the parking lot into the Displains Theater with my friend Carolyn. Mm-hmm. We were going to the Broadcast Museum's benefit at the Displains Theater, and uh, there was going to be a panel of all these radio DJs and people that we. You know, I was so excited to see John Landecker was there, uh, Bob Stroud, who else? Uh, Tommy Edwards. Tommy Edwards. Yeah, um, uh, Wendy Snyder was emceeing it. Dave Plyer was there. He was sort of the herder of the cats. It was weird that they got that many people together. If you're not in the industry, it's like, why would you just show up? To see four people on stage talk. <laughs> and the Our, place was packed. Yeah, there was packed. It? it was. And I met so many cool people there. So why were we in the garage meeting well, we, each other? We were walking to the theater and you were there and we started up a conversation and we introduced each other. <laughs> and then later, afterwards... My friend Carolyn and I were in the wrong garage trying to find our car lost, and you come wheeling by in your van, I guess it was, yeah. and you're like, do you need help? And we're like, yeah, we're lost. And you got us, you found our car. Because you, you know we came in about the same time. Yes. yes. And you knew where we, I, we were, sort of. Right. We didn't have a clue. We'd still be walking around the garage <laughs> right now if it wasn't for you. The last car, yeah. <laughs> So then Pam so, says, yeah. are you going to dinner tonight? Now, this is after the event. And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she says, like, 10 minutes from here, it's down to Pizza Plates, Giordano's. All the old WLS and all the old WCFL people are going to be there. Well, that made my ears perk up. And I'm going, I don't know anybody. She goes, well, you know me. So I went. <laughs> you went. <laughs> and I met so many good people. Art Volo was there, Chuck Buell, Bill Taylor, Scott Childers. I mean, on and on and on. And my Don Bino was there, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the stories flew like nobody's business. 
there was one part of it. I told my wife this. My wife and I met in radio, so she gets pretty much every story I tell. That's great. Yeah, it does. It's probably the reason we've been married 33 years. That's probably the only reason. (laughs) I get you, right? So I tell her that the waitstaff came up to us, and they said that they want to write it up in a certain way, right? And, you know, because it's a big group. So Don Bino says, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought somebody had a trade here (laughs) because... Everybody in radio has a trade, and nobody pays for a meal. It's always the advertiser on the radio station. You know, you make your signature, and off you go. Well, of course, everybody is dying because, obviously, they grew up in that, and they're going, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, now this is not the case tonight. I wonder who's going to pay. And then, you know, we sort of figured it out. Yeah, we did. Wasn't that fun, though? It was really, really fun. Oh, it my was. goodness. So the reason we're sitting here today is not only with that chance meeting in the parking garage elevator, but it's because I learned that you were working on this film as a documentary tribute to Dick Biani. Again, the hair stands up on my back going, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Because that's a name from the 1960s that I had not heard in a very long time. Just because of time, mm-hmm. you know, just time passes. So, how how did you possibly get on that hook, that very big hook that was dangling with the bobber in Lake Michigan, to start doing the Dick Biani film? How did this all happen? It's a crazy story. When I was thirteen, I was sort of a lost teenager. You mm-hmm. know, I was living twenty miles west of Chicago, in the suburbs, a little suburb called Villa Park. I was present the day that WLS, the Prairie Farmer, made an overnight switch to rock and roll music. Oh, 24-hour no. rock and roll music. It was called the Bright New Sound. And all the farmers that had been listening for the last 30-some years went nuts. Yeah. And all the teenagers were dancing for joy. And I was one of them. You had a front row seat to that switch. <laughs> I remember the day well. Wow. I turned on the radio thinking I was going to hear the farm report. And I'm hearing <laughs> rock and roll Elvis Presley. What? Come on. I was just immediately hooked. You had to adjust your dial. I got the wrong stage. Somebody bumped my radio. (laughs) Then later that night, I hear this screaming guy on the radio. I'm like, who is this? Dick Biondi. Oh, my God. He called himself the Wild Eyed Trallion, the Screamer, the Big Spaghetti Slurper. He was making fun of himself, and he was telling these corny knock-knock jokes, and we were all loving it. And I was immediately a fan. So, And 90 miles a minute. Yes. There was no <laughs> slow gear for Dick Piani. No. No. We had never heard anything like this on the radio. Nobody had. No, of course. And yeah. Dick was immediately catapulted into number one disc jockey in America. I didn't know this at the time. I thought he was just our local guy. You know, everybody mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. But as I did my research much later in life, um, I found out he was actually number one. Two years in a row at WLS. He had such an influence. Could you imagine Dick Biani in today's technology? Could you imagine that? Worldwide. Where where you put, well, not only that, (laughs) not only that, but you put out something on social media that Dick is going to be at the Woodfield Mall at two of this afternoon. Oh my God, there would be thousands of people. Oh, yes. Instantly. Yes. I mean, there were thousands of people back then. That's right. And you had to work at it. Yes. I could not imagine that kind of person. Dick Clark would be another one. Yes. Larry Lujak would be another one. Mm-hmm. With today's technology, it would be such a whole different game. Well, because back in those days, AM radio was it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all you youngsters listening out there, <laughs> there was no such thing as FM. Mm-hmm. There was no internet. There was no satellite. It was AM radio. That was our best friend. And you cherished your transistor radio. Oh, boy, did we? Yes. I mean, everything in your world was going on, and you had to tune in to Dick Biani to hear where all the bands were playing and where all the kids were Mm -hmm. and all the fun was happening. And I was just so hooked. I listened every night, and I never missed a show. And a year later, in 1961, in the summer, Mm -hmm. I heard he was at my local shopping center. Okay. And I went over there with my sister and my best friend, Joan, and we met Dick. And here he was flown in by helicopter. What? Yes. He used to be flown around the Chicago area and all the Midwest in a helicopter. (laughs) 
I'm not kidding. This is 1961. <laughs> oh yes. my God, that's so bizarre. That's how big so, he was. So was the reason he was at the shopping mall because of like a remote? The shopping mall paid WLS for... It was a promotion. It was. Yes. Okay. It wasn't just he just decided to no, show no, up. No, no. It was okay. a promotion. Okay. And there was a All whole right. bunch of kids there going crazy. And okay. I was one of them. And then I got a chance to talk to Dick one-on-one. And I couldn't believe. A- after the event? After or the event, okay. I stuck around. Okay. I was the last one to leave, <laughs> my sister and my friend and I. And we talked to Dick, and he spent time with us. He wasn't in a big hurry to leave, he was just so sweet. Hmm. I said, My God, this guy is so special. I wanted to do something, so I decided to start a fan club for him. You did not. I did. How do you do that at the age of 13? You just decide to do it, and then you just do it. I know. know. How how did you get the word out? How did you do that? Well, it was a grassroots affair, basically, because I used to just get the kids at my junior high school. Oh. You know, they all, the word spread that I was the Dick Biani girl. Yeah. And everybody came to me for their Dick Biani membership cards and photos. And (laughs) where's Dick playing this week? Oh, he's at a sock hop over at Immaculate Conception in Elmhurst. We'll be there. You know, it was like... It was fun. And then I started writing a newsletter and letting people know where Dick was going to be. And that was a real big deal for me because I'd never shared my writing and I was kind of a closet writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that kind of brought me out and I was was having so much fun. So this did not springboard off of high school journalism class or anything like that? No. Wow. Yeah, so Dick got fired in uh, May of... Uh, 1963 three years to the day he got hired and he left town and we were devastated and that kind of ended my little world of uh, oh I know Dick Biondi oh I'm oh. you know I was like a local uh, you yeah. know people knew that I was the Dick Biondi girl and I was just so excited about it all and, the time. and it really wouldn't matter who would have taken his place nobody could no, take his no, place gigantic no. shoes and here's the other thing too it's not just you in Elmhurst or, you know, the Chicago area. You know, Dick was on at night. Mm-hmm. So as soon as everybody else had their power changes at radio stations in the Midwest, they were, what, 38 states that's at right. night, WLS? Exactly. So it wasn't, I mean, that's obviously why he became, you know, so popular in America. But it wasn't just your group. Well, they were listening all over, for yeah. all over the country. And people used to, I've had people come to me since I've been doing this project saying, oh, I, I grew up down in Tennessee or I grew up in Florida. I mean, they hear them all over. And they said, we used to always hear about all the fun that was in Chicago and we wished we could be there. <laughs> and I was there and I was so lucky. Right. right. And, uh, you know, Paul Schaefer from the David yes. Letterman show, yeah. he grew up in Canada. Yes. And he used to listen to Dick Biondi way up there. And he used to tune in all the time. And that's where he would listen to all the music. Whoa. He would say, I would listen to Dick Biondi and listen to the music that I had to learn. And he's in my film. That, that he did not necessarily have access to in Canada. That's right. Because oh. WLS was the place. I mean, yeah. it, went, it went everywhere. You said that Paul Schaefer was, is in your film. Yes. How do you get somebody of that stature? I mean, obviously, <laughs> you're, you're sort of you're hitting his nerve when you say the word Dick Biani. Obviously, that, that says something. And, 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 and the era. But still, they have to open the door for you. Well, I knew that Paul Schaefer was a fan. I just knew because I had seen him talking about it on the David Letterman show. There was actually a button, Biondi for Mayor, that was floating around some years ago. And they were talking about it on the Letterman show. (laughs) Who does that? I know. Oh, my. All right. So So I I knew he was a fan. And when I found out he was going to be at the, him, you know, he's got that band, the world's most dangerous band. Yeah. And he was playing at the uh, Arcata Theater in St. Charles, Illinois, which is owned by Ron Onesti. And he also owns the Displains Theater. Okay. Ron Onesti has been a really big fan of Biondi's. He, he knows Biondi personally, and he's been helping us try to raise money for many years. He's turned these old theaters into these unbelievable entertainment venues. Wow. He, he brings in all these acts from all over the country. I got to interview, just th- at the Arcata Theater, I got to interview Frankie Avalon, Bobby Rydell, Paul Schaefer, a couple of bands from out east. I uh, can't think of the name right now. Shoot. But, um, yeah, a lot of people. And through him, you guys coordinated with, hey, here's somebody that Dick Biani helped influence back in the day. 
and you set up the dates and yeah, I you just, let you let it intersect. Well, when I heard Paul Schaefer was there, I said, "Ron, I got to come back. I got Can I? Can you get me backstage?" Sure, and he did. And oh my God, I'm so glad because Paul actually was one of my very first sponsors of the film. Oh, he's wow. amazing. And this was nine years ago. Well, it, it was probably more like six or seven years ago that I actually got Paul involved. Wow. The first few years, I kind of was on my own, doing my own thing, just traveling around, getting the interviews. I actually put my own seed money into this, my, wow. my life savings. <laughs> just a little bit of a passion, don't you think? Just a little. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to mention this more than once in our conversation, but if no matter where you are in the world, because we have listeners in 39 states and 23 countries, regardless of where you are, uh, if you'd like to contribute to the Dick Biani film, and we'll explain more of the stages that it's in right now, let me give you a website that you can click on and donate that way. It's Dick Biani, that's B-I-O-N-D-I, DickBianiFilm.com. And if you'd like to put something in the mail, it's Post Office Box 729, Post Office Box 729, Westmont, that's one word, Westmont, Illinois, 60559. And we'll mention this again later on in the episode um, because it's a gigantic project. And as we talk further with all the people that you've lined up, because I saw the raw screening of it, I know the lineup. And oh my God, the hours you must have put into I this. I have. It, yeah. it's, it's taken over my life. May I mention... <laughs> That these uh, donations are tax deductible because oh, good. we have a fiscal sponsor, Chicago filmmakers, that we've hooked up with. Oh, and uh, but if if you do make a check out, make it out to Chicago filmmakers, and just put in the notation Dick Biondi film, and you can mail it to that PO box. You, you can find all this information on my website, DickBiondiFilm.com. Very good. In okay. fact, you find you can watch our trailer there. You can see our upcoming. Um, uh, screenings. We've got two coming up, uh, and uh, all kinds of great information about Dick Biondi. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll tell you, I saw the raw footage in Joliet. I'm really glad that Ron and Debbie Joe and those people at the Illinois Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum, which is about to open up in downtown Joliet, have helped you with this because Dick was so influential in Illinois and part of their first um, inductee ceremony, which the third one is coming up in September. Um, so it's nice that everybody is partnering up like that to help everybody get where they need to be. You know, they don't need to be a filmmaker. That's your part. They just need to give you the springboard so you can jump in the pool. That's sort right. Yeah. And they have. They've been so wonderful. I have met so many incredibly warm, wonderful people. I can't even tell you. It's phenomenal, isn't it's it? It's opened up my world. I mean, really. Yeah. I had no idea that the entertainment business and the radio business had so many great people in it. Oh, it's a tight community. It really it is. It really is. That, that, that one. <laughs> now, this is a sidebar. Of course, that's what we do in this podcast. We go off in 40 different directions. The number of people that I met at that one event in Des Plaines, which was called Rock Radio Revisited, was phenomenal and where it has led from there. So let me give you a for instance. If you remember when they were doing their panel thing, John Landecker says, hey, before we go any further, I want to mention some people that are in the audience that were part of our team at WLS and back in the day they're not up here on the panel, but I want to point them out. So the first one was John Guerin. Well, I know the John Guerin name. He was a program director at WLS for so many years. And then he says, uh, yeah, right behind him is Chuck Buell. <laughs> and then he says, you know, here's all these people sitting over here that were in the office at WLS. All right, so here's the weird geeky radio part of me. It's almost embarrassing to even admit but before I went to that event, I went down the basement because I knew I had some WLS music surveys from the past years. And I'm wondering, geez, do I possibly have any of those surveys from any of the people that are possibly going to be there? So I looked and I looked and I looked. I had these wonderful postcards, you know, the big promotion thing with 
Larry Lujak and Yvonne Daniels and Tommy Edwards and John Landecker and Brett Miller and all those people. So I pulled out John and I pulled out Tommy. Then I'm going through the playlist. And I pull out Chris Everett Stevens. Then I pull out Chuck Buell. And I go, you know what? If I put these in a pouch and I carry those in with me and I happen to see the people and I have a Sharpie with me, so be it. If not, I just bring them home. No big deal. I saw everybody I had in my pouch. It was so weird. And I went up to Chuck Buell. I said, you don't know me, but I've got something for you. And he goes, oh, God, are you a record rep? <laughs> and I'm going, no, but that's pretty funny. And I showed him, and it was from 1969, and it's in mint condition. And he goes, holy crap. I have not seen one of these in a very long time. We've been in contact. I saw uh, uh, Ted Gordon Smucker. Do you know him from Rewound Radio? And we've gone down a whole other path. And Chuck has been very influential because he lives in Denver in helping my son with contacts in going out to Golden. So you never know how those chance meetings, if you let the door open, yes, they, they will take you places that you would never guess. Now, here's, here's yet another path, and we will get back to the Dick Biani film here in just a minute. <laughs> when I met John Records Landecker, it was sort of uh, you know, in the reception upstairs, but then also afterwards as everybody was sort of filtering out. And we didn't talk for very long, you know, the Museum of Broadcast Communications was the sponsor or was, the, that was their event that day. Well, as the story goes on, what are we, six, seven months down the road now, that some developer went in and offered them a truckload of money, and they took it, and so the museum is moving. So at their 40th year, they decided to do an online auction and call it 40 at 40. So it's 40 experiences for their 40th year online auction for two weeks. Okay, so it could have been two tickets to the Super Bowl, it could be uh, filming of the Drew Barrymore show or Stephen Colbert, it's all about the experience. So I'm scrolling down this, I'm scrolling down this, and I'm going, are you kidding me? It was an opportunity to co-host the WGN show that John Landecker has at night. And I bid on it and I won it. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So David Plyer is the guy that's supposed to call me and give me all the details as to when we can schedule it and what it all oh, entails. Oh, fun. But that's coming up here probably in the next month. Oh, my God. I would have never guessed. That's amazing. Never. I'm so happy for you. John is yeah. so fun. I've been on the air with John a million times. Oh, he's a goofball. He is so fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. There. Yeah. Good so, for you. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And I told friends of mine, I said, you know, you remember John Landecker? Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to listen to him all the time. I said, well, he's on WGN now, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not just playing a bunch of records. It's, it's, it's a different kind of format. And uh, I'm telling about this co-host thing, and he says, um, well, it's either going to be the best thing ever or a complete train wreck. It will not be in between. No, it'll it, be wonderful. It will be over the top. It that's will. That's right. So, anyway, <laughs> that's what's coming up. So, anyway, let's get back to when you said you met... Dick Biani after the event and you started the fan club thing with the newsletters and everything that was not your last meeting with Dick. Oh no, Dick and I stayed friends through the years. We didn't see each other for many, many years because he went out west, then he went to New York City and did a syndicated program mm -hmm. and he went back to KRLA out west in California and meanwhile I was growing up I was in high school he came back to Chicago finally in 1967 I didn't really connect with Dick when he came back to Chicago much. I listened to him, but uh -huh. I didn't connect with him because by that time I was practically married and having a child and, you know, my life had changed drastically. So. Yeah, of course. But anyway, I, uh, it was 20 years when I finally did reconnect with Dick. Wow. And he was, at that time, he was in Myrtle Beach. And Bob Surratt found him down there. <laughs> Bob Surratt did a show uh, for WBBM television called Where Are They Now? Yeah, Channel 2. Yes. Wow. He went down and he found out Dick was down there and he went and interviewed him. This is all in my film, by the way. Nice. He found out he was down there playing golf and he was at this little bitty station down there doing mornings and enjoying his life. But it was pretty laid back, you know. And yeah. 
and Dick admitted, and it's, we, this is really cool, he said that the best time of his life was WLS in Chicago, wow. and he really wanted, he would love to give Chicago another try. He would love to come back. Well, guess what? He came back because WBBM radio got wind of it, and they hired him for mornings. Wow. So that's how he came back to Chicago, and he never left after that. Well, Chicago has such a, a heartbeat that just does not give up. There's no resting. There's always something going on. And when you're in radio, that's exactly what you want. And, you, and we love our radio people here yes. in Chicago. We love our media people. Yes. We really yes. do. We're, we, we have a sort of a loyalty to them. I mm -hmm. don't know what it is, but I've heard many people speak about it around the country, and they say the same thing about the Chicagoans. Yeah. When you fast forward from that time, Bob Surratt going down to Myrtle Beach, now Bob Surratt and John Landecker are working on the same station yes. in 2023. Isn't it crazy? I, I don't know that they run into each other that often because Bob does mornings and right. John does evenings. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if somebody said, you know, this is what's going to happen. Dick is going to want to come back to Chicago and then so-and-so will hire him. And then 20 years later... <laughs> I know yeah. it's funny. Nobody would nobody would say, "Oh yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen." Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. No, nobody, absolutely nobody. So once we reconnected, that was it. You know, at that point, I had been divorced. I had a 14-year-old daughter. Okay. And Dick and I just stayed in touch from that point on. And I would always call him at the station. Sometimes he called me, just to see how I'm doing. Did you use him for leads to try to find people? No. Like, to interview? No, we were just friends. No, I wasn't doing that back then. Oh. I didn't get into video oh. until I was much older. Oh. And it was kind of like the last 10 years of my working life was in video production. But my true passion was always telling stories, like interviewing people. And the one story that was in my heart that I always wished I could tell was Dick Biondi's. But I never really believed I could do it. I just thought, oh, I, I, I never interviewed anybody famous. I, I mean, who am I? I'm, I can't do this. No, but you can, <laughs> you can gather the cats, which you've done. Well, I have now, yes. yes. yes I just, have. I finally, at one point, this was after I was retired, <laughs> I had bought a little cottage over in LaPorte, Indiana. Okay. It was by the lake, and my sister was a block away, and I had retired, and I had, I was, I had a garden. My elderly mom was living with me, and... We were having a very quiet life, but I was still doing video on the side. I was still, I had not fulfilled myself. I knew there was something else just I needed to do. Wow. And I kept working on these little memoirs, video memoirs. I was interviewing um, an English war bride, telling her story. Showed it to a friend of mine that I met who was a documentary filmmaker named Patty. And she said, one day when I spilled my guts and I said... <laughs> You know, I really always wanted to tell Dick Biondi's story. She's like, Pam, you could do it. I said, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's a big story. You know, when somebody says you could do something, and oh, I, I don't throw, think they, no, anybody they, ever said that to me before. Well, they, they also throw down the gauntlet. They go, well, yeah. not like they're trying to double yeah. dare you, but it's like, well, I'm going to show them that they're right. It seeped into my brain, and, and after my mom passed a year later, I called Dick at the radio station and I said, Dick, has anybody approached you about doing a documentary? He, at the time, he said yes. Oh. He was talking to some people. Oh. So later, I, I asked him, well, how's it going? What's going on with that documentary? Oh, nothing. And then my wheels are turning. Finally, I just said, okay, what the heck? It's the worst thing that could happen. I fail. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Well, you, and you, let's say you interview four or five people and then it doesn't go anywhere. Well, you at least interviewed four or five people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an experience. It was. Yeah. I got to interview Frankie Valley. Did you really? Yes. All by myself. <laughs> I, I was so nervous. I couldn't get anybody to help me that day. So I elicited a friend of mine <laughs> and she had some friends and they carried my equipment in and at least they gave me a little bolstering. <laughs> You don't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Frankie, let's meet for lunch. No, you don't. No. He, was, he was a tough one. Why was he so tough, do you think? Well, his manager was, um, she was very protective. Oh. She wanted to, she wanted Dick Biondi to vouch for me. Oh, okay. And well. So I, it uh, took a while. Yeah. Because Dick was busy and, you know, whatever. I could but see that. It finally, you know, he agreed to see me. Okay. And uh, I went out to, um, what's the name of that place? Where they have all the music up there, up north. 
Um, oh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You talking about in Milwaukee, the uh, mm, Summerfest? No, not that far north. Uh, uh, oh, Alpine Valley. No, outdoor music. Uh, Poplar Creek Music Theater. No. Uh, Ravinia. No. No. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. I can't think of it. That's all I have. You can actually see it on the wall behind Frankie at, in, at the. Uh, okay. All right. Anyway, we went out there. It was fantastic. We stayed for his concert, and we got to see him do the rehearsal. We got to go backstage oh, nice. and watch him rehearse. You talk about a guy who watches every detail. Oh, yeah. Whoa, he really is on top of it. Not his first rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. Was he your hardest grab? He was the hardest one to get to. Okay. Yeah. But once well, you once well, you got him, he was fine. Oh yeah, he was he was he was a little. At first, I was a little intimidated. He didn't come off real warm and fuzzy at first, mm-hmm. but then he lightened up. Yeah. He started smiling, and he was great. Wow. He was really great. Another one that was tough was Walt Perizader oh. from the band Chicago. I've got a Walt story. Yeah? I do. Go ahead and tell yours. I was supposed to stop in Las Vegas on the way to California with my brother. Okay. We were coming back. He was staying with me. He lives in California. I was going to go interview Walt, but what happened was they were having a big convention at the time, and the traffic was so backed up, and my brother had to go pick up his car, and that took him longer than he thought. And I missed the interview with Walt. And his manager was so upset with so me. So when you missed oh. the window, that's it. Oh, I was just begging. I kept saying, I am so sorry. Yeah. And finally, Walt said, if it was anybody else but Dick Biondi, I wouldn't be doing it. Oh, my. But he did, he did let me come back out, and I came out there with my friend Stephanie, who's my co-producer. Mm-hmm. We drove back from California to Las Vegas and went to his house, and he's got an elevator in his house. Oh, no. We took elevator <laughs> up to the floor where all of the whole room is completely covered in plaques, Grammy award-winning gold records, all kinds of statues and you name it the whole room i'm not kidding a wow. huge room and you keep in mind that those probably those other band members of chicago probably also have duplicates of those types of oh, rooms I'm too oh i'm sure yeah i'm sure but that's um, crazy it's crazy but it was we got a great interview with walt and he in the film thanked dick held his his little rock and cuz dick got him them into the the not the illinois but the rock and roll hall of fame really Dick is the one that got them in there because he made such a stink about it. He was in an exhibit that they had with all the big famous DJs. Oh. He said, I want you to take me out of there because you people don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, and he got up, and this is all in the film. He got up in front of this crowd at the Arcada Theater, and he said, I want you people to go home, and I want you to email the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and tell them to get off the stick and get the Midwest in there. The band Chicago's not in there. The Ides of March, the Buckinghams, he went on and on, you yeah. know. All these oh, Illinois bands. Yeah. So adamant. That's hilarious. And, and they end up getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. And they thank him to this day, and it's in the film, and it's wonderful. That's cool. <laughs> All right, so here's my Walt Parsader, um story. I went to Northern Illinois University, and there was several floors of us in the dorm. There was this guy that was on the floor above me, and, you know, we'd see him at the cafeteria and, you know, just sort of see him in passing type thing. Well, we happened to have lunch. I guess it was a Friday, you know, not too far from that group of people from D3. And we're all saying, hey, what what are you guys doing this weekend? And, of course, we're all sharing things back and forth. And this one guy is sitting there, and he's not saying a word. It's like, well, what could he be doing that he's so ashamed of <laughs> that he doesn't want to show it with it, share it with anybody? We're going, come on, what are you doing? Fess up. What's the deal? Are you doing nothing? Do you want to tag along with some of us? No, 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 I'm plenty busy. Well, now you're killing us. What are you doing? His brother is Walt, and he was going to a Chicago concert. But he didn't oh. want anybody to know because you know what college kids will do. Hey, can you get me tickets? Yeah. Hey, can I read this <laughs> album and have your brother sign it? And he did not want to be associated with any of the Chicago notoriety through his brother. Okay. Which I sort of get to a certain degree. But on the other hand, you know, it's a it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool deal. <laughs> when was the time you said this story at uh, the Joliet Raw screening? Um, when you knocked on Dick Biani's door? Um, I was probably 14, 
and I had gone downtown to a record hop, and it was on a Sunday afternoon. Dick wasn't there. He didn't work on Sundays. I went to a record hop, and I ran into some friends that knew Dick, and one of them, his name was Myron, Myron Ehrlich's little short guy, and he said, I know where Dick Biondi lives. I said, you do? Uh-oh. He says, yeah. You want to go? You want to go? I'm oh, like, gosh. yeah. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah. Wow. Dick knew Myron very well. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. I said, and then there was another friend of his that tagged along, and I don't remember his name, but anyway, we get on the L. We take it up to Evanston. Mm-hmm. Sunday night, it's dark. We get out, and we walk a couple blocks to this very modest apartment building. And we knock on the door, and Dick answers the door, and he sees us. <laughs> oh, come on in. I mean, he knew me because I had the fan club. He knew Myron. Yeah. Just come on in. He just didn't know you people were connected. Maybe. He had oh. seen us probably together. Oh, he did. Okay. Maybe. All right. Okay. But anyway, we come in, and there's his wife and his stepson in the living room, and he introduced us. Yeah. Her name was Hazel. Okay. Her son was Ted. He looked to be about my age. Hmm. So I think she must have been a little older. Okay. Dick at the time was 28 years old. They immediately left the living room, and, and they didn't come back. And we stayed for an hour and talked to Dick. Aww. Here it was, his only night off, and here we invaded his home, and he was as sweet as but could just be. just a nice guy. Oh, my God. And yeah. so I happened to notice on the wall there was this really cool clock, and it looked like a record album with little spikes coming out of it, like for the hands and everything. I said, wow, that's so nice. That's really cool. You know what he did? He picked it up off the wall and handed it to me. He said, here, you keep it. Come on. I'm not kidding. That was the only thing over his couch. And he gave it to me. So you should have admired the crystal. <laughs> Maybe he could have given you that. <laughs> but who gives you... I would you rather st- have the album. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the clock. Do you still have that? I wish I did. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. Did I it? don't know what happened to it. You know, I moved so many times over the years. Oh. I moved. I must have moved 30 times in my life. Oh, so wow. it got lost. So do you realize that I heard this story at the Raw screening in Joliet? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you realize I also asked you who the toughest person was to get connected with for an interview? Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. So I told Ron Romero I was going to do this. And he goes, wow, if you pull that off, you know, good for you. But I don't know how the hell you're going to do it. So I went down to Toad Hall which has been there forever, and I said, I need a Frankie Valley album or a Four Seasons album. And they took me in the basement. They showed me all of this stuff. <gasps> and I went to oh Hobby Lobby gosh. and bought the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the clock oh. guts, and I ended up putting it in this album, which it fits oh perfectly goodness. in this 33 and a third. The Four Seasons hits, digitally enhanced, featuring Frankie Valli. Oh, my so God. There, How and, cool is that? And there's the, uh, there's the album cover. Of course, we don't really care about the album cover because, you know. Yeah. So oh, that's so nice of you. So there's your clock. What a sweetheart you are. <laughs> oh, my God. You've got to take a picture of this for everybody to Isn't see. Isn't that funny? This is so cool. So if you know people, you know, like uh, Nick at Toad Hall and uh, the friendly lady at uh, Hobby Lobby, you can sort of make things happen. (laughs) Yeah, for little or nothing. So anyway, there you are. So now you can can tell people that you still have the clock. I still have the clock. Yeah, one way or the other. That's (laughs) hilarious. Hey, by the way, we were talking about Frankie Valley and Frankie Avalon and, and Paul Schaefer and all these other people. The list is pretty impressive of who Dick helped get on the radio. Because back in those days, I mean, even when I was on the radio, they literally would deliver to your door, whether it be by hand or in the mail or whatever, a 45. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, everybody's wondering about that B-side because sometimes the B-side's better than the A-side. That's true. But there was no... Let me email you this or go to our website. No, None gosh, of that. No. no, you were in their face with the record reps and the announcers. And, you know, you got people at WCFL and WLS that could make or break. You know, Absolutely. If, if, if you were or if your management were jackasses, guess what? Your record might not get on the radio. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if nobody's paying attention to you and I think your music is great, 
then I'll put it on and give it a shot. And then, of course, it's people like you that are 13 and 14 year old that go nuts and blow up the phones. And then now they know that this is somebody worth grabbing onto. He did a lot, a, a lot more influence uh, when he was in the southern states, didn't he? Well, Dick, when he first started out in radio, he was just out of high school. He mm -hmm. went down to Alexandria, Louisiana, mm -hmm. and he started playing race music, it was called. Before they called it rhythm and blues, it was called race, or sepia. Hmm. And he actually was on a station down there, and he had a show called Jam and Jive, <laughs> and he would play all this race music, and he would play all the black artists before they were famous. Mm -hmm. Fats Domino, Little Richard, and that's where he actually developed a love of black music and uh -huh. to this day absolutely loves black music and has promoted black artists for many, many years. He's there to help people. And after he left Louisiana, he went up north to Youngstown, Ohio, and that's when he got into rock and roll. That's when rock and roll finally was breaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, he started doing record hops, and that's when he started bringing Bobby Darren in before oh. he was Bobby Darren. And Frankie Avalon and mm -hmm. Bobby Rydell and Fabian and all these guys. Uh, he brought, actually brought um, piano. Jerry Lee Lewis? Jerry Lee Lewis. Okay. I, my brain. I've got a boomer brain, you know, know. forgive you got, me. You've got a lot going on in there. <laughs> I, I'm happy that you, that you keep some of it straight. Jerry Lee Lewis, the, the killer. Yeah. He brought him up for the first time, brought him north. And he had a hop, and he ended up having 2,500 kids at that hop. Oh, my. It was unbelievable. And then he, brought, he actually saw Elvis. He promoted Elvis when he was, first came north to Cleveland. And he met him backstage, and there's a real funny story in the movie about how he got Elvis to sign his shirt, jumped into a crowd. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I'm not going to give it away. but No. Anyway, Dick promoted everybody, and uh, he's, he was known as a hit maker. Well, and he took risks. He took risks with artists. He took risks on the air. And that probably sort of tallies up his 23 times of getting fired. 25. Be was it 25? Was it really? <laughs> yeah. I missed a couple. Yeah. Be because, I mean, you think about this. To a certain degree, and it, it happens not so much now as it did maybe 25 years ago. But I'm going to hire this person because they are edgy, because they are different, because they do have a following. And then once he gets in, whoever he is, and then he pushes that envelope a little further than management wants, mm -hmm. then we have to fire you. Mm -hmm. Almost for the exact same reason that we hired you. <laughs> and it's sort of ass backwards, but <laughs> time changes. That's it. Yeah. And, and lots of times new management will come in that's right maybe they will get all kinds of feedback from the sales department because you said something about one of our sponsors you know that kind of stuff but not only i mean i've done a little bit of research on on dick biani and it's not necessarily that he got fired that he had to move on it's because somebody is wanting to grab onto him because of his popularity and then sometimes it's just coincidental it's like you know we really really want you no i'm really really happy here oh geez i got fired yesterday well come on down here isn't that convenient and yeah he always got hired again oh, that's oh, the good yeah. thing oh yeah, yeah 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 now what is the situation with dick now because he's into his 90s isn't he Dick is going to be 91 in september okay he's retired and living a quiet life with his wife mary beth okay in uh chicago and uh he's not doing anything publicly anymore no okay yeah has, has he done anything where if you put a, a Zoom call in front of him that he'll no. record something? No. no? Okay. He will, he's just not doing anything publicly at okay. all, all right. unfortunately. I, yeah. But, you know, he's he did so much during his life. He's entitled to live a quiet life now. Yeah, so. I get that, too. I do. Yeah. Um, how did Scott Childers become part of the film? Because... Um, He's pretty pronounced in his archival stuff oh, that yeah. he helped you out with. Oh, yeah. Scott has been wonderful. Uh, you know, he wrote the book, the WLS history book. No, I did not know oh, that. Oh, yes. The He's one the author of a book. Yeah, not, not that, uh, not that uh, one with uh, Larry and Tommy on the cut. Yes. Cup. That's the That's one? That's his book. Oh, my. Yes. I did not realize And he that. also has a website called WLSHistory.com. Okay. I believe that's it. 
And he's got all kinds of uh, air checks on there and radio history. It's a wonderful site. I bet he has collaborated one way or the other with Jeff Davis, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, because Absolutely. Jeff is a archival freakazoid. I mean, he's got stuff. In fact, do you know that Jeff Davis does the intro and the exit for this podcast? Does he? He does. Oh, Jeff. Jeff's he, in my film, too. Is he really? Yes. Even though I saw it. Yeah. I, I would it's really, hard to remember everybody is. that's it in is. there. There's it's, so many people. Yeah. It was a lot going by in a very yes. quick amount of time. What is the runtime on this film, by the it's way? It's a little over an hour. Okay. That's, yeah. that's about right for a documentary. Though. Yeah. Wow. Is there something now that you wish you had access to to put in the film, like an interview with somebody, and maybe they died on you before you could get a hold of them? Is there that golden ticket that you wanted? Well, I really wanted to get Paul McCartney or Ringo to oh. talk about Dick being the very first to play a Beatles record on the radio in America. Wow. 1963, February, a year before they went on the Ed Sullivan Show mm. and became, you know, the huge hit that they were. The year earlier, nobody cared. Nobody wanted to hear the Beatles. They were like, who's this? Put the Beach Boys on. Forget <laughs> this, you know. But Dick kept playing them at when he was at WLS Radio, uh, you know, because Ewart Abner was the, um, the guy from, the promotion man from uh, VJ Records, which okay. is based in Chicago. Okay. So Ewart Abner came over and handed Dick the record, Please Please Me. And Dick listened to it, and he liked it. He said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll play it. He played it and didn't get a lot of good reaction from it, but he kept playing it. And he actually got it on the WLS Silver Dollar Survey Whoa. for a couple weeks. All right. And so then he got fired in May, and he took the record with him out to KRLA in Los Angeles. Ooh, big the station. second night he was on the air. Oh, yeah, that was the big one out there. Oh, yeah. Second night he was on the air, he played it again. <laughs> And the phone started ringing, and the kids were saying, take that crap off and play the Beach Boys. <laughs> Especially in California. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, again, he kept trying. And, you know, I would have loved to have Ringo or Paul McCartney thank Dick and yeah. just acknowledge it. Because it really, there's been a lot of research about who was the first to play the Beatles record. And mm -hmm. it's been proven by Kent Cotell. Oh. Are you familiar oh. with Kent? Kent's another archivist. Oh, absolutely. He was another one at the dinner. And he was in the movie. He's in the movie. Yes, yes, I Forgottenhits.com. Anybody out there wants to know all about music and radio, Forgottenhits.com is the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kent has done a lot of research about this, and he's found out that Dick Biondi is indeed the very first to play a Beatles record wow. in America. And uh, I think Dick should get a little more credit for that, you know? Yeah. I yeah. don't think it's on the, I've, I've written to the people over at uh, Apple, and I said, you know, Dick Biani should be in your records, your archives. I'll work on that more as I go forward. <laughs> right now, i got to get the film done. <laughs> you're, you're like a dog with its favorite toy. You will oh, not let it go. I can't. <laughs> I'm a pit bull at heart, I think. I'm, my jaws are wrapped around this film. I cannot let go until it's done. <laughs> Let's give people another um, information on how to be able to contribute. Because just because this film is in the can, which it is, there are fringe things that you have to do with films these days in order to be able to get it streaming or licensing or whatever the case may be. But anyway, let me reiterate these uh, uh, pieces of information again. Way to contribute to the Dick Biani film would be the website, which is Dick Biani, B-I-O-N-D-I, DickBianiFilm.com. Or, if you would like to send a contribution by mail, you could send it to P.O. Box 729, Westmont, Illinois, 60559. And that is titled to what Filmmakers Association? Chicago Filmmakers, because they're our fiscal sponsor. There you go. And they give us the ability to offer a tax-deductible donation. Very good. Be sure to put Dick Biani film in a memo in the memo line. Yeah, so they know. And and this address you can find on our website as well under um, donate. There's a there's a big donate button right on our homepage, but there's also another page where you can go and you can get the address. Okay. So all the information is there. So what do you have to do? Because I I've been an executive producer for films. You basically write the check and you yeah. you know and you're an extra or something like that. We've got a film that's coming out in the next month called Hideout H Y D E hideout and another one that's coming out called trial by faith but what i don't realize because i leave that up to other people 
is all the legalese and all the streaming and all the royalties and all the licensing and all that stuff. And you're still... I just recently got the film actually together so that we could show it to people. I've been getting feedback and it's called a rough cut when you show it in that form. You know, it's like almost done, but the sound hasn't been balanced and the color hasn't been balanced and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Once you get all that good stuff done, it's called a fine cut. And then you can actually, you know, the, one of the last things you do is called an audio mix where you balance all the audio. We haven't done that yet because we're still screening it to a few places in the area. It's still getting a little feedback, but we do have it done. I mean, I could, I literally, if somebody came to me right now from uh, WGN television or PBS, mm -hmm. and if I had it licensed, which I'm working on, mm -hmm. getting all the licensing done, I'm about halfway there. If they, if they made you pull the trigger, you could. I could. Yeah. I could have that film tomorrow. Okay. I just need the funding to get it there, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not quitting until I get it. So. <laughs> so look at it this way. Look at it this way as a, as a donor uh, angle. You would probably spend $25 if you and a friend went to a film. So take that same $25 and treat it as if this is a ticket for the future to be able to see the Dick Biani film. How's that for a sales twist? I love it. <laughs> Does that work out okay? It works. Yeah, because yeah. you don't have to be a $500 donor. No, I mean, and you no. will get your name in the credits. Oh, really? Really. Now, if, now, if I have it on PBS, they might not let me put all the credits in because it has to be a certain length. But for my long term, oh. my long form, I have all my donors in there. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And you're, kind, you're the kind of person that also will not, I mean, these other people may, but you will not run it 90 miles a minute where you can't read everybody either. Well, I might have to. I know, the but more, that's them. That's not you. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's them doing it to you. And you know what I did in the credits? Because they're right now about five minutes long. Mm -hmm. And I've got all kinds of fun stuff in there, like Dick Biondi at a record hop. And you, mean, you mean outtakes, sort of? No, not really. They're well, sort of. I guess they are. Okay. Yeah, and then I've got a little song by Ronnie Rice. And Skip Pierce, they wrote a song called You Don't Know Dick, and it's a funny little ditty. You haven't seen that. No. We added that after that screening. And Ronnie Rice was at our screening uh, about a week ago at the Displaying Theater, and he, it's the first time he saw the film. He was raving about it. Did you tell him it was in there, or did you just I, let it play? I let it play, and he was like, <laughs> oh, man, I love this. Oh, and then he called up Skip, and Skip uh, ended up um, messaging me on Facebook, and he said, Ronnie told me he loved the film. Where can I see it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what a lot of people are. When I came back from Joliet, they're saying, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're all excited about it. How well, do I see it? if you want to have a screening in, in, in uh, Rockford, well, then let me we, know. We need to talk then. Okay. Because when's your next screening? Wasn't that down in Indiana somewhere? Yeah, we have one June 25th coming up at the Hobart Arts Theater okay. in Hobart, Indiana. Okay. Tom Lounge's record shop is, is hosting. And I'm going to be on the air with Tom. He also hosts a radio show. Oh. Two radio shows, actually. Public radio. Um, I can't think of the call letters. It's out of Merrillville, Indiana. Okay. Um, so I'll be doing that soon. And then um, in July, July 9th, we're going to be up at the Acorn Theater in Three Oaks, Michigan, which is a really nifty little town. In Three Oaks, Michigan. What is that close to? Is that Traverse City it's or Grand Rapids? No, it's not that far. Um it's between New Buffalo, Michigan, and maybe South Bend. Okay. It's not that far. But geographically, you're going to be getting into that really tight circle, obviously going across Lake Michigan, where people are certainly going to recognize Dick Biondi's oh, they, name. Oh, absolutely. Because it travels just crazy yeah. to those states. Well, absolutely. Good, good for you. And Indiana played a big part in my film because I was actually living in Indiana the first uh five years at least that I was working on the film. I eventually moved back to Chicago because I kept driving in all the time and I was like, <laughs> I can't keep doing this. So I finally had to sell my little cottage and move back. Oh. I miss my cottage. I anyway. Can, I can only imagine. I know. It was on the lake and was on the golf course. <laughs> I had everything. Wow. Now I'm in a condo. <laughs> See well, what I did for Dick Biondi? Well, <laughs> does he have a concept of 
the work and the number of years. Yes, and he does. This is something that you just he don't does. pull out of your butt and no, throw on a it's recorder. It's a huge... You know, uh, Dick's secretary, Lorraine, who I met when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I used to go down to WLS, and she would always give me all the membership cards and everything. And so one of the first people I called when I decided to do this was Lorraine. And she's living in Texas now. Okay. I called her up. I said, Lorraine, guess what I'm doing? What? <laughs> I'm making a documentary about Dick Biondi. Cam, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Dick knows everybody in the entertainment business. Yeah. I said, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, my God. I knew I was getting into it thick. I know. Because the minute you leave somebody out. And I've had to, unfortunately. You, but you uh, had to. You know, you can't, you can't. The story has to. You have to follow the story. Yeah. So, Did you know um, that when Dick was out in Los Angeles at KRLA, do you know he, who he worked with? Yeah, mm-hmm. he worked with Bob Eubanks. Yes, he did. And he's in my film, too. Yes. His okay. voice, anyway. Yeah, and who is the other person? <laughs> I know the Casey Kasem one. Oh, Casey Kasem, Can yes. Can you imagine rubbing elbows with those people? Well, Come do you know on. that Casey Kasem used to listen to Dick on his syndicated show out of New York City at Good. Mutual. Wow. And that's how he got his ideas for his show. For American Top 40? Yes. Come on. I'm not kidding. All right, so here's a pop quiz. Not that I ever expect you to have the answer, but what cartoon character did Casey Kasem voice? I know who it is. You do? I do. He's a big dog. Can't think of his name. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Yeah, he was Shaggy Scooby-Doo. on Scooby-Doo. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing how many influences dick had whether it be intentional or not think of all those people like you and me that are listening on their transistor that ended up getting into the radio oh, industry gosh, yes. yes and dick would never know oh absolutely no. i get people all the time writing to me oh i if it wasn't for dick i wouldn't be on the radio oh my. dick was my hero oh oh all the time that yeah, is it's amazing. so good. Isn't it cool? Wow. And I didn't mention this, but when Dick was in California at KRLA, he was there at the very first Beatles concert. Bob Eubanks mortgaged his house to bring the Beatles to the Hollywood Bowl. Come on. Yeah. And Dick was there with all the KRLA jocks. They all introduced the Beatles. Wow. And he was there at that first one. And he also was at the Rolling Stones concert in Long Beach. He introduced the Rolling Stones in Long Beach. And he introduced the Rolling Stones the very first day they came to America when he was in New York City doing that show on Mutual. Wow. Yeah. So he's, he was always where things were happening. Yeah. He was amazing. And I don't think most people know his story. No. How would they? Yeah. It's a very loud, very fast voice every three and a half minutes in between records. And you have no idea where he's been or yeah. who he's talked to or any of that kind of stuff. And, I mean, the whole list, whether it be, you know, Tom Murphy or Charlie Tuna or any of those other radio announcers, are the same thing. They've all got these enormous stories that we don't know about. And when you, you know, click on YouTube or something like that and you see just maybe like a four-minute spiel, it's like, well, I didn't know that about him. Well, how would you if they didn't do a documentary? So hats off to you for doing it. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not like it's going to have a life. When you do this... It's like a tombstone. It's there forever. Yes. Yes. That's what I want. I I wanted to get it nationally produced and internationally because, you know, actually Dick's voice bounced around into Europe. Did it really? There's a lot of German people that love Dick Biondi. Come on. (laughs) I'm not kidding. How do you know this? Because Bob Hale, I interviewed Bob Hale. Do you remember Bob? I do not. He was one of the original WLS jocks. Mm. The the Swingin' Seven, they called them, when they first... Hmm. Went over to the bright new sound. Uh-huh. He was one of the original guys, and he lives in Oak Park, and I got to interview him. He was wonderful. His name is Bob Hale. Bob Hale. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Yes, and he told me that when he went to Germany, people said, they said to him, oh, what do you do? And, oh, I used to work at W. Oh, WLS. Oh, yeah, I used to work with Dick Biondi. Dick Biondi. <laughs> oh, yes, Dick Biondi. <laughs> they knew him. Wow. Yeah. When I was 19 years old, I had this wild hair up my butt to go into Chicago, and I was fresh into radio. I mean, really fresh. I was 19, and I just wanted to see how the big guys did it. So I literally jumped on the telephone to WMAQ, WKQX, WLS, WGN. I says, hey, can I come in? So I coordinated them all on one day, 
I can still remember. It was about you know 10:30 in the morning when we got to WLS, I, and I took Mary Myers. She was a coworker of mine at WFRL in Freeport. Because I didn't want to drive into Chicago by myself. That's insane when you're 19. <laughs> yeah. Are you stupid? So I wanted a witness. So, so we went in the stone container building, and the security guy says, uh, are you sure you've got the right building? And I said, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh, sure enough, you're on the list. He goes, okay, go on up. You know where you're going? I said, no. Fourth floor, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think seven. Yeah, well. No, that, fifth. That's how, fifth. Much, that's how much we knew. Fifth floor. So we hit four. Okay, not knowing. Who gets in the elevator with us? Paul Harvey. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And he says, what are you people doing here? I says, well, we're going up to WLS just to see how it is in the, you know, big city and everything. He goes, can you promise me to take some advice? And I said, sure. He says, whatever they tell you, doesn't matter what they tell you, do not ever give up. And then when he got out of the elevator, he held the door back again, and he goes, good day. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> and when we went up, uh, it was Tommy Edwards on the air. Okay. And, you know, they had the big Studio A uh -huh. uh, window into the hallway. And then, of course, I saw him at the displays, the rock radio yes, revisited thing again. So that was a little serendipitous 360 oh, type. Wonderful. Yeah. But the whole reason for the story is that when we went over to WMAQ and WKQX, which was Q101 at the time, they turned us over to some random person. You know, my contact person says, okay, nice to meet you, blah, 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 and we'll have Joe Blow take you through the station. So this guy came to the front, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and his name is Nick Scott. And we both said, I know you from somewhere. Well, Nick Scott had worked at WROK. There was several people at WROK, who I later worked for, um, helped me start the high school radio station. So here's Nick Scott in Chicago, you know, two, three years later after we did the high school thing. Yeah. And so he showed me the WMAQ side. And who did he hand me off to for the Q101 side? Art Roberts. Oh, how cool is that? Yes. I have no clue about the significance of Art Roberts. Oh. <laughs> I just don't. He's, you know, yeah. him and uh, Ron O'Brien connected with the Beatles and WLS and WCFL all through the, you know, the rough and ready days. Yeah. I had no clue. None. So it could have been cooler had I known something. Yeah, well, that's okay. You found out later. <laughs> I, did, I did find out later. Well, Pam, thank you so much. This has been an eye-opener. I wish you so much luck. You are in the ninth inning. You are. I am. You're I am. in. You're I'm in the. Very excited. You're rounding third in the ninth inning, and <laughs> uh, I, I can only see really good things because you got, you got friends behind you. You got people behind you that really want to. I really do. Push this. So, if anybody out there would like to partner with me, if you want to become an official sponsor, please reach out to me. Mm -hmm. I am looking for you. Mm -hmm. I need you. We need to get this film done before Dick turns 91 in September. He's still with us. I want to get it out before we, you know, I don't want anything happening to him. Yeah, or a screening location possibility. Oh, yeah. We yeah. want to do a screening if somebody would help us, uh, you know, find a location and sponsor it. Oh, that would be awesome. That's great. Anybody wants to jump in, oh, I, we would love to have you. Cool. Just go to my website, and you can email me directly at pam at dickbeyondefilm.com. And keep in mind. Those people that want to help, you don't have to know a lot about music. You don't even have to know Dick Biani. You don't have to know Pam. You don't <laughs> have to know Chicago Radio. And you don't have to know anything about filming. No. No. You just have to have the same passion for somebody that wants to capture all this history and then spread it out to <laughs> everybody in the world. That's really the formula. That is true. Capture it and then share it. And documentary filmmaking you don't make any money doing this. There's no money in this. No, I mean, I, I hate to say it. People don't understand. You just spend your life doing something because you're so passionate about it. And mm -hmm. if you don't have the passion, you're never going to make it. No. Thank God I still have it after nine years. <laughs> well, Pam, thank you. I appreciate you meeting us here Tim, thank at, you. at Frankie's Deli. And I think now we're going to go eat. Ooh, I'm hungry. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thank you for joining us in the Storyteller Studio with Tim Larson and Liz Wilder, where everything begins with the story. When you were mentioning that uh, Dick was out at KRLA in Los Angeles, you were popping the Beach Boys in and out 
um, where everybody wanted to hear the Beach Boys. <laughs> the Beach Boys were actually a pretty significant part of your film, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, they, I actually got to interview Brian Wilson and Al Jardine from the Beach Boys. Oh, oh my, my God. That oh. was uh, that was the epitome for me. Was it really? Oh, because I love the Beach Boys. That yeah. was my group. And think of how much they have under their belts that they can just share right off the top of their head, whether it has to do with Dick or not. I mean, they've got a lot of material. It's oh, yeah. Cr- I've been doing it for 60 years. I saw them, I think it was last, oh, maybe like last November or something. They were at the Coronado Theater in Rockford. Their 60th year tour, and they nailed it. Oh. They really did. Was so, this with Mike Love? It was. Okay. Yeah. So what was the piece that was so well, uh, surprising to you about Dick? Well, Dick was the guy who broke their very first ballad, Surfer Girl, when he was at KRLA in Los Angeles. Oh, my. They brought it to him. And Brian, is, i got to tell you the story. It's so funny. My friend Patty and I uh, were out we're at the Four Winds Casino in New Buffalo, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And we had an opportunity to interview them. And we got to go to their um, rehearsal, you know, their what do you call it? Sound check. Sound check, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we got to go backstage, and we had a separate room back there, and we set up, and we were supposed to only interview Al Jardine. So, Al, I started asking him about, uh, you know, I understand that, um, you know, the night you recorded Surfer Girl, that you brought it in to Dick Biondi at KRLA, and he played it. And he goes, well, you know, I actually wasn't with the band at the time. He said, uh... So let me ask Brian. He's in the next room. Oh, and my, no. My, my, Patty and I look at each other we're like, oh, my God. The next minute, <laughs> Brian walks in, sits down, and I'm putting a lapel mic on it. And I'm, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. And I got to ask him just one question, and that was about the surfer girl. And he answered the question, and it was perfect, and that's what's in the film. Wow. <laughs> But, yeah, he talked about how Mike said, why don't we bring it to Dick Biondi? And they did. They brought it down to Carol A. The phone started ringing. The kids were saying, we love that record. It is. It's a fantastic record. (laughs) But you're saying that 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 was their first ballad, that that everybody was, you know, used to high-tempo Beach Boys songs up until then. Yes. You know, there's something that Dick had. There was some kind of an ear or some kind. Maybe it's just that edge. Where he goes, well, let's give this a try. What's the worst that could happen? Maybe he did that sometimes, but as Frankie Valley said, Dick had a great ear. Uh-huh. He recognized great music. That is so and cool. Yeah, so he really did. He yeah. could really pick a hit. When you think of, you know, Little Richard and um, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, it wasn't one little specific kind of music. He had an ear for all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. And I guess to a certain degree, thank goodness that he bounced around the United States because that was good for the United States. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. If he started and ended his career in Chicago, look at all the things that may not have happened. That's I right. D- I don't know. It's just sort of weird that way. It is. And it's just it's such an honor for me to do this film and good. to and to keep this story for posterity and, yeah. and let the world know. What a wonderful human being Dick Biondi is. How much he helped people. And he, did it, he didn't do it for payola. He did it because he had a big heart. <laughs> and, when you say, <laughs> and when you say payola, you know, I'm a radio guy, so that means something entirely different to <laughs> yeah. me. That gets you back to the record reps. You mean he did not do it for pay. No, he did <laughs> okay, not okay. pay for play. He didn't do that, <laughs> that game, no. <laughs> well, Pam, thank you. I really appreciate you joining me here at Frankie's Deli, and let's go have some lunch. I love it. Take care. <laughs> Thanks.